Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text hope NY in New York. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. And welcome in. It is GC Live, Gamecock Central Live. I am Wes Mitchell. He is Chris Clark. Monday edition of the show, Monday episode. We are live, of course, on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, on the Gamecock Central message boards, and on the Gamecock Central homepage. And uh, maybe you're catching us right after the show on one of the podcast platforms. Wherever you are watching or listening, we certainly appreciate it. Jam-packed show today. This week, I would say, Chris, will probably be the exact opposite of last week's show. I think it's sort of, you know, last week's show kind of, I'll be honest, drug on a little bit. Wasn't a whole lot of interest in the Ole Miss game itself. You know, we even talked about that, uh, that it probably was the game where people were the least interested. I've seen the fan base in a long time. But now we get the big breaking news on Sunday night. Wasn't exactly unexpected, as we had told our subscribers, really starting on, on Friday. I, I think we were able to start to, you know, sort of talk about that a little bit. But the big news, it's everywhere now. South Carolina moving forward with a coaching search, Chris, after the dismissal of Will Muschamp on Sunday night. 
Well, you left it really open-ended there for me, <laughs> for me to just take off with it. Yeah, it has been a jam-packed, um, gosh, it's hard to even remember, I get, really since Friday, man, you know, backing up to this thing before the Ole Miss game, uh, we knew going into the weekend that there was a better than average chance that it was going to really, really ramp up, right? We knew that <clears throat> sort of change was was in the wind. We knew that if the game went sideways in Oxford, that it was going to accelerate the time frame of what was going to happen. And that ended up happening. And then, you know, the game obviously lasted until late. The team got back in about 3.30 a.m., had Monday and Tuesday off. They had COVID testing on Sunday, then had Monday and Tuesday off, uh, Monday and tomorrow. And so we knew that uh, th- there was going to be some movement, you know, or they had Sunday and Monday off, rather. I'm sorry. Um, and, and so we knew there was a good chance there was going to be some movement. It took maybe a little bit longer than we both thought, Wes, for some kind of word to come down. But the outcome expected at the end. And so um, the wheels have been in motion here for a little while. And, and things uh, finally got uh, finalized, to, to be a little bit redundant there. And wheels in motion on a lot of different things. You know, whether it was the actual move to go ahead and move on from Will Muschamp, and to dive into the coaching search, those things have all been happening sort of behind the scenes. And um, that's in large part why we've been able to go ahead and jump out and, and put forth some information, you know, for subscribers on GamecockCentral.com. So it's been a whirlwind, you know, in terms of especially the last, I guess, I don't know, 48 hours or so have been really, really interesting. Yeah, so I see we've got I, – I think y'all were probably going to have a record crowd on here today would be my guess. So, and we, we have so much to get to so much to talk about. First, I want to shout out, say what's up to everybody in our chat Our yet to be named yet to be sponsored chat room. So basically point being, I'm going to go ahead and shout everybody out. And then obviously we're sort of recording this show for later as well. I'm going to structure it where I, I have some things we have to get to. And so we're going to sort of go through those things a lot of it will probably be some of the questions you may have anyway, but then we're gonna go we're gonna go extra today, probably go an extra fifteen minutes, and at the very end, I'm gonna we're gonna take everybody's questions uh, for at least you know for at least for that that time window. But I know if we start getting off track, that uh, we won't get to some of the stuff we definitely need to hit today because there's just so much to get to. So, Chris, like you said, man, let's. And I know people want to talk coaching search. We're certainly going to get to that. And uh, before we forget, Chris, tell everybody about the game day chair. Yeah, so the reason that we do this show on a daily basis, Monday through Friday, is because of the game day chair from AffordableMedicalUSA.com. You may be saying, why is it Affordable Medical? They do sell medical supplies and equipment, but this chair is not a medical chair. It is just the biggest, most comfortable, roomy, recliner-style chair that you've ever seen. Enhance your game day watching experience, Netflix, NFL, college football, whatever. When baseball season comes back around, basketball, whatever your sport is, uh, game day chair is what you need to check out. Call those guys, 803-926-1493, or click the links, GamecockCentral.com, YouTube description. If you're on the podcast, not listening to us live, you can check it out there as well. Uh, Three different positions, lounge, TV washing, lay flat position, which is called the twilight position. Take yourself a nap. So make sure you check out the game day chair from Affordable Medical Equipment, and we appreciate their support. 
Yeah, appreciate their support. Appreciate everybody in the chat's support as well. So, dude, all right, let, let's walk through it a little bit. First of all, let's sort of start with last night and maybe work backwards a little bit. But yep. the reaction, I think, was was very interesting to me because you sort of have the it, it, and it's it's kind of like with Will Muschamp. It's sometimes hard to put things maybe into words or even perspective because as you can see from the reaction from his players, he does do so many things the right way as far as trying to build a program. And as we've seen, you know, as we saw at Florida, as we saw for the five years here, it's kind of one of those things where for maybe if, maybe if he did 90% of the things right, but it's sort of that final 10%, a lot of which I think is on, I would say, game day as far as maybe a lack of aggressiveness in some ways. And then offense, obviously, and finding the right offensive coordinator. Maybe if if he finds a Mike Bobo three years ago, you know, and maybe makes a different hire for OC, maybe we're having a very, very different conversation so I I think you sort of saw last night and yet a lot of the fan base was sort of celebrating I I saw one one person I think it was beat Clem on Twitter uh one of the Gamecock Twitter folks I hopefully I'm giving this to the the credit to the right person but they they tweeted they said this didn't feel as good as I thought it would and I, I think you know if you're a fan you get so frustrated with the losses, the lack of defense the last three weeks, everything that sort of happened the last two seasons, you get so frustrated, you sort of forget, all right, he is a a high-profile head football coach, but he's also a human being, and these guys do love their coach. You can see that, you know, this, this is a team that is hurting right now, finding out their coach is gone last night. And it sort of just, I don't know, drove it home for me. It's like, man, Muschamp did do a lot of things right with the way he runs his program. But also, I think, I personally think it it was time this year to to make some type of change and give somebody else a shot. But it's not as simple as just it it didn't work out. Yeah, and, you know, sometimes when when a coaching tenure ends, it's not just the on field product, you know, that, that is, unless there's some type of scandal or something, a lot of time, you know, the on field product is obviously the main thing for people. Um, it's a wins and losses business at the end of the day. And that's why we are where we are right here on this Monday, talking about this very scenario. Everybody knows that. But a lot of times when you look at coaching changes at other places, um, there's other stuff, you know, that there's, academics went in the tank or, you know, the culture was just so terrible throughout, you know, that there were just a bunch of issues or, or there was discipline problems. It just, there's all these different things. And so I think at the root of all this, the unhappiness that permeated sort of the end of this tenure was, it really came down to, to wins and losses, all the stuff about, you know, what Muschamp may say in a press conference or, you know, things like that. What that stemmed from was losing. He could say the same things, operate the exact same manner if they're winning football games it really doesn't matter splitting hairs at that point 
But, uh, you know, it remi- it does remind me, you know, and a lot of people said this would happen, whatever, you know, not getting into that, but it does remind me of Florida. You know, you remember the end of Florida, it was like a, it was strange almost, you know, when Muschamp left, I mean, they even had a press conference uh, with Jeremy Foley and Bernie Madgen, mm-hmm. the president at the time, and Muschamp all there, um, you know, and, and Muschamp got up and talked about about the whole situation. And it was it was almost cathartic, it seemed like, for everybody to talk about that. But it was very difficult for Bernie Madgen, who and Jeremy Foley to this day, people who love Muschamp, you saw all the players support then. You saw administrators, uh, you know, across the SEC, especially at Florida. It is similar now. And so he's an extremely, you know, well-liked person with how he operates everything. And that is what made it difficult on some people. That's why Ray Tanner, you know, was sort of choking up at the press conference today. That's why the team meeting last night, Will Muschamp, uh, my understanding, spoke first. Ray Tanner and Bob Caslin, the president of the university, were both there as well. It might Bobo and they all spoke, but but Will Muschamp spoke first before he left and the players clapped for him. And there's a lot of raw emotion there. And there still is actually right now. So, um, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where it's not some people obviously are going to just say good riddance and, and it's over and things like that. But for a lot of people, especially these players, you know, are they frustrated about where things are in certain regards? Yes. But at the end of the day, Will Muschamp is a lot more of a relationship builder than you'll see with a lot of head coaches who can be very impersonal and things like that. And that's why you're hearing so much of this in the aftermath. Yeah. And, and man, I, I think um, not, and we're not going to talk a whole lot about the team and sort of Missouri. We'll probably be able to get into that later this week when we have a little more time, but I mean, I'm, I think there's some serious uh, things to be tracking here sort of about, the, the players' response to this, the final three games. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, I'll even go ahead and say it, in the age of opt-outs, um, you know, who, how do, you know, what, what happens these next couple of days, what happens these next few weeks will be very interesting to see. Uh, so let's, let's give our listeners and viewers a little bit of background on sort of how it went down. I think some people find that to be intriguing or interesting. And then, then we're going to get into the coaching search and talk names and all that stuff because I know that's what people want to talk about. But, Chris, so if you rewind, let's go back to about this time last week, but then even a day earlier, I would say Sunday, and fresh off the, the beatdown against Texas A&M. And that, that's when all the rumors online started. Now, the interesting thing there was – the rumors online were basically Muschamp will be fired by Monday of, of that week. And so, of course, you know, we instantly go into check check on that mode. And the, the answer obviously was no, that's not true. Muschamp's not getting fired tomorrow, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, the, you know, and we reported that. We said that on the show here. The interesting thing, though, was that as the week progressed and we went from sort of checking on that specifically of, hey, is he getting fired right now? The week progresses. I want to say it was probably midweek. You start, you know, you start to get some rumblings where you're like, this, you know, this is very real. And I, I think 
very much behind the scenes. It, it the LSU game alone didn't really do much tamper you know this group in. I think it was LSU backed up by the way Texas A and M game went as far as just getting dominated on both sides. And then so so we start to hear and I, I know I know Ray Tanner said the decision wasn't made until Sunday. To me, there's probably some semantics there. It wasn't officially made until Sunday because as last week went on, you had that report on Friday where it, it had become very, very clear if the game this past Saturday, Ole Miss obviously, if that game went the way what the way it's projected, really. I mean, you're you're a two score underdog, probably not gonna be able to start Ole Miss, you know, stop Ole Miss, I should say. If the game went as projected, then there would I would say a, a really good chance that we were going to see the outcome we saw on Sunday. Yeah, sorry, I had to unmute myself there, Wes. Yeah, so the the A&M, the LSU and the A&M games, and I feel pretty comfortable in saying this, and I'll take Ole Miss out of the equation because, you know, to back up, things could have been a little different going into that game. It wasn't necessarily losing those games. That, that did this, that, that had us going into Ole Miss saying, if Carolina drops this game, it's probably over at that point. We, we knew that by Friday, at least, that that was going to happen. That was the likely scenario. And so if they lose to LSU on the road by a touchdown, they lose to A&M by 10 at home, would there be some conversation about that? Probably, probably. But what really did it was the manner in which South Carolina lost, which you alluded to, Wes. I mean, they they were they got beat pretty badly against LSU, and they were non-competitive against A and M. Just couldn't really do anything, and that that even more so than just the losses is what really turned this. Now, going back to that Sunday after A and M and all those rumors started, I, I feel like what happened at that point is that. With certain, um, I guess, power brokers, maybe you could say that it had started to turn. And then some of those opinions started coming out and coming forth, and there was a push to make a move. But it did not take shape until it took a few days to take shape, if that makes sense, to where uh, it got to the point where the appropriate parties or the parties that have the most to do with these types of things really got on board with this is what we've got to do. And then if it's, if they lose this weekend, it's the appropriate time to do it, you know? And so uh, I think it was starting to trend in that direction, certainly against A&M. Cause we, you remember Wes, I mean, we heard from several people after that game on that Sunday, on that Monday, this probably changed the equation, but it was a little bit premature to say this is definitely happening by later in the week, by before the Ole Miss game, it had taken shape to where we know this this is what's going to happen. Yeah, and then, of course, it did. Uh, you know, we were tracking it on Sunday. Really, it, it took a little bit longer than we maybe thought it, it would. And then, so, BOT is doing everything they have to do behind the scenes to, to get in position to actually do it. Ray Tanner, um, from what I understand, Ray Tanner, Chance Miller, who um, – is uh, 
a guy you don't hear much about, but is, is very involved in the administration over the football program uh, with athletics. Those guys met with, with Muschamp around 6.30 or so, um, 6 o'clock, some, somewhere in that 6 o'clock range, met with him, did it, and then there was, of course, a race to try to get all the players in. The players had the day off at that point. Get the players in. Mandatory team meeting was called, 7.15. And then by about that time, that's when everybody I, – I imagine all the local media folks were sort of, all right, do I feel comfortable – when when am I reporting that it's done? You know, am I am I completely comfortable reporting this massive breaking news or not? Um, I do. I think Mike Yuva got the the first uh, first one out there. Um, great dude, good for him. Um, I think a situation there where you know everybody's sort of scrambling to put you know put out what they have, and Muschamp tells the team seven fifteen. And then Caslin speaks, Bobo speaks, and then you sort of have a push into today. Bobo speaks to the media, Ray Tanner speaks to the media, and the coaching search has officially begun. Now, I would say the coaching search, I don't know if you say it officially began on Sunday, officially began today, but it unofficially always begins well before it actually begins. Yes. So let I think I don't know. Let, let's start. You know what? Let's not. Let, let's talk about some names because I'm seeing. I'm watching the chat. I know people want to talk names. We'll talk names first, Chris. Then let's circle back and we'll get into what are you looking for in, in a coach. So. I think, dude, if, if you want to look, it's sort of at the early part of this process where there's a lot of names on the list. There's a lot of names out there. Tanner even acknowledged that. But, you know, I, I was on with JB and Goldwater earlier today, and they said, hey, throw us some names. And I, I started, and I said, all right, these are the names everybody's already talking about, but there's substance here too. Mm-hmm. Billy Napier, he's been connected to this job for – for over a year, I think you've you know we've heard his name floating around forever. He he's definitely a candidate, and it makes sense. Shane Beamer, there's definite mutual interest there. I see some people in the chat talking about Jamie Chadwell. Obviously, if you're South Carolina, he's got Coastal undefeated, right? I think seven or no, seven or eight, no. I just did my hot board. I can't remember uh, what the number is, but. They're undefeated right now. So, you know, I think you look at those three. And then Hugh Freeze obviously has been – he's going to be talked about. He's going to be the one that a a certain segment of the fan base talks about quite a bit and probably the most maybe polarizing guy on this list as far as what people want and think South Carolina should should go get as far as coaching search goes. Now, there's a bunch more names out there. There are names that will be taken off the list. There will be names that will probably be added to the list. I, I think we're still at the point where names can be added to the list. Yeah. But point being, you can at least say the list has been formulated. The early list has. And now you're you're chipping away, striking guys out, and, and maybe in some cases adding guys back on. Yeah, I mean, at, at the outset of something like this, there's going to be a lot of names, whether it's 
guys that express interest, often through back channels, um, guys that, you know, you got to remember that there, there are a lot of people involved in a process like this. So it's, it's sort of a, at the beginning at the outset, it's sort of a marketplace of ideas. And then they all get brought and then things gradually get whittled down for a variety of, we, of reasons. Um, who's attainable? Uh, who is, uh, who's interested? Who fits the job? You know, what are, what are salary requirements? What are, you know, I mean, there's just so many different things in there and, uh, and it eventually gets whittled down. And some, sometimes people do come up late. You're right. I mean, there were new names that we learned last year. Literally, I mean, we were reporting at the time that the job was going to be Will Muschamps. And you remember, I think it, on that same day, you hear of these three people were interviewed, you know, and it's like three new names or a couple or at least a couple new names. And so I don't know that that'll happen this time uh, in terms of hearing new names that late. But I do think there are certainly names. We've rolled a bunch on Gamecock Central already. We've profiled candidates. We have a hot board up. Uh, but there are guys that we don't know about right now. And they're going to be guys when this process is over that we learn about in a few months or next year or in a few years. Yeah, that guy interviewed for the job or that guy was, you know, garnered some level of consideration. So, yeah, they're, they're very much still in that fact-finding stage, learning about candidates. They haven't gotten to the interview you know, process yet. That'll come at a later date. And this process is probably in an ideal world going to move a little bit faster, you know, than the last time uh, for a lot of different reasons. I know you said, Wes, we'll get into timeline and process and all that later, but lots of different guys out there. Um, I know I said we weren't going to go into the chat too much yet, but I, I got to show, I got to throw a shout out to big Roderick Byers, man. Uh, Clemson football player that we both covered during recruiting from Rock Hill. Um, great dude. He just said, what's up on Facebook. So what's up, Rod, man. Great to see you. Um, hope you're doing well, man. I still follow you on Facebook. I think we're Facebook friends. So what's up, Rod? Um, yeah, Chris. And by the way, if, if anybody is not a subscriber to GamecockCentral.com and wants to have an opportunity to follow all the stuff you're talking about, you know, and, and we're going to talk about candidates on here. We're going to, we're going to give some info on the show as well. Of course, we always do. But also, if you want the more in-depth stuff, you got to go to GamecockCentral.com. Right now, use the code SEARCH25. Get your first year at 75% off. That's just 25 bucks for your first year, SEARCH25. Uh, like you said, I've got a hot board up. You've already got two updates, one from yesterday, one from the day that just went out, I don't know, less than an hour ago. So uh, go to GamecockCentral.com if you're looking for an excuse to – to sign up, maybe you said, eh, I'm, I don't know if I want to pay for my Gamecock news. This is a chance for you to go check it out and follow the blow-by-blow stuff without the rumors. It, Dude, it is. <laughs> I saw I, you getting a little exasperated almost by the rumor mill. Because, no, dude, I don't know how the people that – I don't know how y'all Twitter heads – and I'm not saying that in a derogatory way because I, I enjoy Twitter to an extent, but Twitter is exhausting. Twitter is so exhausting. Yep. Like it, I can't be on Twitter for, for too long. I have to take breaks because it is just exhausting. And it doesn't – you can literally tweet the sky is blue today and there will be at least one person that will hop on there and tell you that you're, you're dead wrong. Yep. So – Good grief. 
It is exhausting. But anyway, if you don't want to deal with all that, come to the Insiders Forum, sign up now, check it out. It'll be fun. I have no idea where we're going to go next. But I think we were supposed to go candidates, and then I started talking about big picture, what you wanted to save. So I just really ruined the flow of the show on that one. It's okay, man. Um, I'll forgive you. Uh, what's up, Miss Bell? I think that's uh, Jaheem's mother checking in. I hope you're doing well. Jaheem had his first career catch. Great catch on Saturday, actually. Bright future in the program for number two, three. So what's up, Miss Bell? Uh, Chris, all right, let, let, let's talk a little big picture. Ray Tanner did talk today about what he's looking for in a coach. And... Dude, so I, I think – and by the way, it's kind of interesting. As I was doing the hot board, I realized out of every name that's out there, every name that is attainable, there is not a single person that you can just say it's 100%. He, if you hire this person, you will instantly win. You're going to win the SECs. You're going to average eight or nine wins a year. Just hire that person, and it's done. As Ray Tanner said today, he said, I talked to one of the best – a guy that's considered one of the best ADs of all time, and he said, I hit on 50% of my hires, and this guy's considered one of the best. So there, there is no secret sauce. There's no secret formula. It is, it is not a science. You need – frankly, you need a lot of luck both in that you you got the right guy and that you have the right players coming through your state while that coach is there, that people are willing to be patient with this person, that you maybe win a couple of games you shouldn't along the way, the ball bounces your way. You, you There's way more luck involved in this, I think, than anybody ever wants to think in sports. So how, how do you pick – the, the next big thing in coaching. It's much like recruiting, man. When you're evaluating a guy, he may check every single box that you consider important in the evaluation process. And there's still, even if he's like, let's say a four-star guy, he's still, it's not a guarantee. Yeah. He's going to be great. This, I mean, five years ago, Tom Herman was an absolute can't-miss coaching target. A couple of years ago, everybody was saying South Carolina, as somebody in the chat said, you needed to fire Will Muschamp and go hire Dino Babers from Syracuse. Oh, yeah. Now now he's not even on anyone's list. Nope. So, dude, I mean, Scott Satterfield, who is on the hot board, who is on the list, if, some, if there had been a change last year, I think Satterfield's probably one of your top one of the guys we're talking about right off the bat. But because he's had a little bit of a down year in Louisville, you know, which is that even fair? It's year two. Right. He he's not as hot of a name with the fan base. So you can look back and pick out this guy worked out, this guy didn't, this guy worked out, this guy didn't. What what are the common threads? It's very, very hard to actually sort of break it down. And even if you do that, that's no guarantee. Yeah. I mean, you got to look at the fact that like South Carolina's had a couple, arguably 
can't miss coaches in their football history. They brought Lou Holtz. <laughs> I mean, Lou Holtz. Now there might have been. We don't have. We we don't. We can't go back and search Twitter for that particular time frame with what people were saying or Facebook. There are probably people that said Lou Holtz is too old or whatever. But when you look at a place like South Carolina, it doesn't have a lot of tradition. Look at Lou Holtz's resume. You talk about what he did at Arkansas, what he did at Notre Dame, and then he comes to South Carolina. Lou Holtz did some good things at South Carolina, no doubt about it. He didn't win big, you know, quote-unquote. So then Steve Spurrier, greatest coach in South Carolina history because of what he ended up doing later in his tenure. Rightfully so, he should be regarded as such. Can't miss. I still remember being in the stadium Spurrier's first game against Central Florida when Blake Mitchell threw that post route to Noah Whiteside for the touchdown. Everybody in the stadium, it was palpable. You could tell, this is it. This is the new normal. This is the future. Going to win big here because they saw that. They've been so used to the past few years, quarterback draw, you know, all those different things. They see that and they go, this is it. It's happening and it's happening soon. It didn't happen soon, right? It took a while. Caught good things like unprecedented run of in-state talent that, to their credit, they took full advantage of. Guys out of state, really good staff after a few years. And by year six, Spurrier's got it rolling for a while. Still didn't win a title. They did some things they had not done before in program history, which is fantastic. But I say that to illustrate the point is you can take people – it's not just as simple as saying, this guy has won at this school. We must go get him and bring him here. And if we do that, we are going to win big. It is not that simple. Now, does that give you a better chance? Maybe so. Because instead of Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier, South Carolina could have hired whoever. I think like during the Holtz search, didn't like Kevin Gilbride come up? Probably wouldn't have done well as well as Lou Holtz, if I had to guess. If Steve Spurrier left at some point and they hired whoever, probably wouldn't have done as well. But all that to say is a unique job, unique circumstances. And so it's not just as simple as who's good at calling plays if he's a coordinator. We'll make him a head coach and he'll be good. Or who's recruited well at this particular school, we'll get him. Or who's been a good head coach at this school. It's just it is difficult. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't aspire to be really good and aspire to hire a great head coach. That's obviously the goal, but it is hard to do, even at big-time schools. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even at the big-time schools, which you wouldn't – you wouldn't think – you would think big-time school and big-time coach, it would – you know, it would be done. That, that, that would work, but it just – it doesn't always work out that way. There is some luck involved and a host of other things that – and here's the other thing. As much as much as nobody wants to really talk about this part of it, Clemson's right down the road, man, and it's it's not easy right now. Like I again, and I I think I think the move yesterday, I think it was time, but and, and I say that because of the trajectory of the program more than anything. Not even the overall record, not anything else. Just the trajectory. Could you still recruit to this? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But coming in when the rest of a league is down or your rivals are down, is the talent in your state up or down? Stuff like that. All of those things are factors. But 
we as a society, and I'm not casting blame on anybody else. It's all of us because we are all part of society. We as a society, we we aren't willing to wait anymore. So it's sort of like I, I need to see progress right right away. So there is a certain aspect there that um, where you are as far as all these other outside factors within that little two or three year four year window has a great effect on if a coach can actually win or not. So, all right, let, let's go into what you some some specifics, I should say, on what they're looking for in a coach, Chris, because I get the impression, and, and I notice, and again, no, no matter what name we say, and you can see it in the chat, you can see it on Twitter, you can see it on our message boards, no matter what what one of these names you say, Somebody will tell you the positives for that name, then somebody will tell you the negatives because there's no perfect candidate. There's going to be some questions for any of them. Yep. Now, are you, as a sports fan, are you more about the resume, sort of, this guy has tangibly done this, this, and this? Or, you know, are you more the guy, I don't necessarily even care if they've done it you know, yet themselves, but I'm more about who are they as a coach, as a mind, you know, as a, as a X's and O mind, as a, as a human being, as a planner, as far as what their plans would be for the job. Is it more like, I just know this person has the things I'm looking for. I don't care that they haven't tangibly produced, you know, a win loss record yet as a head coach. I get the impression, Chris, that South Carolina has not really boxed itself into it's got to be a head coach. It's got to be this type of coordinator. It's got to be an FBS guy. It's got to, you know, it can't be a power five. You know, I think they're more, okay, let's take the list. Let's maybe whittle it down based on some parameters. And then let's talk to them all and just see who feels like the best fit. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot. It is not as simple as going on Wikipedia and and saying this guy won this many games at this school. What does that mean in the grand scheme of things? Because as we said, there's so many examples of guys who maybe haven't won at one place, have won at another. It, there's just so many different factors. It's it's hardly ever an apples to apples comparison on that type of thing. And so, you know, just from what I've gathered. And Ray Tanner talked about some of these things in a general sense today, but it's really going to be about, obviously, recruiting is king in college football. You've got to be able to evaluate and recruit. And in the SEC, it is a different animal. It's a very unique animal in the SEC. And even when you step out of the SEC as, as an actual conference, you know, maybe some of the schools that you're going to clash with every now and then. Carolina doesn't recruit as, against Clemson head-to-head as much as people, as much as people may portray at least not right now. And there are different reasons for that right now. But even when both teams were good, it didn't happen as much as, as you may think with them being in the same state two hours apart. So it, it's a lot about recruiting. And so what is the plan for that? Um, can somebody recruit to South Carolina? Recruiting to Alabama, as you know, Wes, we talk about this a lot. It's a lot different recruiting at Alabama and South Carolina. So can you recruit here? What's your plan for it? Can you do it? Um, 
are you either familiar with how South Carolina may do things in the SEC or can you definitely integrate yourself very easily to that? If you haven't, what's your plan for it? Um, what's your staff composition? Can you build a stable staff of people who, you know, with a good blend of guys who can recruit, evaluate, call plays? You know, a lot of people say, well, does the head coach have to have been a head coach or coordinator? From what we understand, no. If you're looking at plucking a guy who's been a coordinator into a head coaching role, it's not a bad thing if he's really good at calling plays, but that doesn't necessarily qualify a guy to be a head coach. They're not hiring an an offensive or defensive coordinator right now. They're hiring a head Mm -hmm. coach. So what makes him qualified for that? I don't care, honestly, unless he's a head coach that says, I'm calling the defense or I'm calling the offense. He better be good at it then, but can he hire people that are good at it? Does he have a cohesive plan? So, I mean, all those different things are being taken into consideration because this is a good job, but it's a hard job at the same time, I think. And and I've had a lot of conversations with people about that the past week or so. Um, So it's a unique job. And so getting somebody who either does understand it or can understand it very quickly and sort of tailor a unique plan to be able to come in and win um, with recruiting being a, a huge aspect of that. How can you recruit here? That's obviously going to be very important. Yeah. got to find a way to keep upgrading the talent. Had a question. I am going to go to this question because I, it was something we we're going to hit anyway. Timeline. Um, obviously I think there's a little bit of uh, PTSD from South Carolina fans last time around with how early Spurrier hung it up, going through the entire season, sort of having a coaching search that because the season was going on and it was it was so early in the season, was going in slow motion. This one, you got you got three games left. And there's a reason because you know, there's been questions about would South Carolina make a move during the season or would they wait to the end of the season? And at the surface, you may say, what do you gain from going ahead and making a move now, making the decision now. Well, you know, Ray talked about it a little bit today. What you gain is that you get to go ahead and have a full-on start on going after new coaches, but you're up against an early signing period, which was not a thing five years ago when South Carolina was looking for Steve Spurrier's replacement. And, hey, guess what? Starting January 1, more than likely – guys are going to be able to transfer one time without penalty. So you have this situation where your team could just say, screw this, I'm going somewhere else, and you have basically free agency. So if you're South Carolina, if you're anybody with an opening, you have to go make a move right now. Now, I do wonder, how how does the pandemic play into this thing? Because many people would say, is South Carolina at a, at a disadvantage financially because they're paying the buyout and we're in the middle of a pandemic. The other side of that is, though, that the competition for whoever we all deem is sort of the best coach right now, the competition may not be quite as fierce because a school that may have otherwise opened up in these times may wait another year. So – it could go either way. I'm not sure which way it will go, but I do know South Carolina feels – I mean, we're sitting here. It is – it's November 16th today. 
So you're literally looking at the early signing period starting exactly one meet, one week from right now. Yeah, so, so many factors. To go back to the pandemic that you mentioned, South Carolina fans, those that wanted change, um, which seems like most, and, and we all agree, you know, it was, a, it was a good time. You know, those that wanted change should be happy that the athletic department has been in such good shape financially leading up to this. You know, that's one thing that can't be disputed. I mean, from a financial standpoint, most it is not common for athletic departments to operate in the black with, with a positive profit margin. There's, I remember at one point there was 25 or so schools, major schools that had it, you know, that did that in South Carolina was one that gives you more flexibility. That doesn't mean they're still going to lose 50, $60 million this year as, as, in terms of budget shortfall. And that's going to be painful, but that did allow them to balance. Okay. If we sustain where we're going now, obviously things are not going in the right direction. You know, um, season ticket sales, all that, you got to consider that for for the following season too. But that did allow them to balance this whole thing and gave them more flexibility, you know, in in terms of being able to do this, to to make this decision. Um, It's something that had to be discussed, but that could still be done. So that's one part of it. But, you know, that pandemic also means, like you said, Wes, probably not as many jobs opening. There could still be some. There are rumblings about Texas. Tom Herman, guy you mentioned earlier, who was the hottest coaching candidate in the country not too long ago. Texas seems like they have an appetite to possibly move on there. That could open. Michigan, Jim Harbaugh, he might walk away. You know, that's something that's percolating in the coaching industry. He might head back to the NFL. Penn State, James Franklin, uh, you don't know, he, but maybe he says, hey, he's he's always been pegged as a guy with NFL aspirations. Can he get an opportunity? Will he think about it? So there could be some places open up, but I think some of those jobs wouldn't have as much carryover with South Carolina this time. Now, if Tennessee did, that could be interesting. If Tennessee were to open, Auburn, it got, boy, it's hard to tell year to year from there what may happen, but this does give you a jump. I think even more so, West, than looking at um, like competition with other schools, I think the biggest thing is the other factors that you mentioned. It's something that we dropped in our first report last night about the coaching search and the process in general, and that is the season ends December 5th this year, later than usual in terms of regular season, and you also have a potential makeup date out there on the 19th, which could really – I could complicate things a little bit. But early signing period, December 16th, possibility of the NCAA passing in January a one-time transfer rule. And so the the general point is the quicker you can stabilize it for this year's recruiting class, early signing period, the possibility of maybe you can get some guys to hold off and get some targets for February. And then to stabilize your current roster, the guys that you really need to keep before January, before they might have an opportunity to, to jump free and clear, that helps you uncertainty, instability, those aren't the kind of things that can help you. Now, you don't don't want to do that at the expense of getting a good candidate, but if you can marry both of those together, then you got a situation that, you know, is ideal. Yeah, so a lot of stuff to balance uh, with with all this, and you have have to hire the right guy first and foremost, but if it so happens that you can can do that uh, while also doing it quickly – then that that is a best case scenario for all. I, I think it's the way to sum it up. And you know, here here's the thing, y'all. 
go ahead and prepare yourself because you sort of if you make a change, everybody you know everybody thinks of the the good parts of making a change. It's not working out. You have to make a change. It's time to make a change. There are negatives to making a change too, and you just sort of have to accept them. It's sort of a cost of doing business. There will be guys that that transfer. That is inevitable. Do we know who? Do we know when or even why with some of them yet? No, but that's an inevitability. You will have guys that transfer and leave the program because a big reason they came here was to play for Will Muschamp. So now you you know you'll have some doors open. There'll be some transfers in, probably that have connections to whoever you hire. And so you know there there's the positive side of it as well as far as getting talent. But some of these recruits that are committed right now will probably sign with South Carolina regardless. Some of the guys will wait and see. And I'd imagine some of the guys will either decommit or wait and see and then decommit. You don't know yet who those will be and and which direction each guy will go. But you sort of just have to accept that and go ahead and and just lock that in your mind that, you know, it's going to happen. Let's see. Let's talk a couple more names real quick. Are actually the same names, but thoughts on them. Real quick, Chris, give me your sort of uh, summation of Billy Napier and just your personal thoughts on that fit. All right, I'm going to audible on you, and I'm going to talk to him about Dead Soxie as, before we segue into Billy Napier, make the people wait just a little bit longer. But I'll, I want to tell you about Dead Soxie. Guys, if you want to up your sock game, and they have some Gamecock sort of themed type stuff that you're going to want to see soon. But go check out deadsoxy.com, D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y. Patented technology. They prevent their crew and their no-show socks from slipping. Uh, Kickstart some positive vibes into your wardrobe with the positive vibes some of you may have this week. Head over to deadsoxy.com, D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com. Enter the code COCKY, C-O-C-K-Y, at checkout for 30% off your entire order. No show socks, um, boardroom dress socks. They're really cool. Wes and I have tried them out. Make sure you go check out those guys, and we appreciate their support of GC Live. So, yeah, so Billy Napier, real quickly. I mean, obviously, people are going to know. has some South Carolina ties, played at Furman. Um, he's a Tennessee guy, you know, in terms of where, where he grew up. But uh, played his college ball at Furman, was a quarterback there. Uh, spent some time at Clemson, so he has some connections uh, in Georgia, his dad was a high school has as a high school coach, uh, and so uh, yeah, he's got he's got some ties around in the Carolinas, etc. Uh, spent some time at Alabama as a position coach and off field guy. So the thought is that you know he has some connections, you know, around college football. Obviously, he's done a good job at Louisiana. I think he's won three division titles there. An offensive guy. He sort of cut his teeth. He's not just a Saban tree guy because he's been at Colorado State. He's been at Arizona State and now his own head job at Louisiana. So, uh, And I think his city was from Tennessee. He's from Georgia, I believe. So there's some interesting things there, um, you know, about Billy Napier and regarded as a good recruiter and a, and a pretty sharp offensive mind. Sorry, I was uh, posting links. But all right, so I'll go – I'll go to Shane Beamer then. We'll sort of just go back and forth on on the four guys. Shane, another sort of polarizing guy just because, you know, has not been a head coach. So I'll 
I'll start there. That's that's the negative side. That's what people are going to point out, Chris. They're going to say, look, how are you going to hire a guy at an SEC program that has not been a head coach before and really has not even, you know, been an offensive or defensive coordinator? And I would say, hey, valid, you know, valid criticism. There, there's a valid criticism for all these guys. Does it make it a risk? Yes, there's an inherent risk in hiring a guy to do something that, that he's never done before. The other side of that is you're talking about someone – who has worked at a really a high up role under Steve Spurrier, recruiting coordinator here, under his dad, obviously Frank Beamer. I think he, I don't know what they called it there. Was it associate head coach or assistant head coach? I'm not sure, but he had a a major role there. And then he is assistant head coach for offense at Oklahoma, which we actually learned. Full disclosure: we learned yesterday Oklahoma has about 13. If you're on their staff, you have some beautiful title. They have like two co-OCs. They have an assistant head coach, which is Shane Beamer's role, and they have an associate head coach, which is one of their other guys' role. I mean, everybody gets a title. It's like Oprah over there. But I think you look and you see with Shane, there's a connection to this school. He was born in, in Charleston. He understands this job. He's seen this job at its best. He sort of understands how the how you would have to structure things as far as recruiting goes, and you know where you can sign players from here. I think, and the, the thing with him is that he would be much more of a CEO type coach. I, I think he will take cues. I'm sure with who he hires from some of the things he probably saw under Spurrier offensively. Certainly has learned a lot from Lincoln Riley from what you hear offensively and then would go out and use his connections. He's an extensive connections guy, well-liked within the coaching community, overall good dude. You wouldn't have to worry about any – it's kind of the opposite of freeze as far as, you know, is there any baggage. You wouldn't worry about any of that stuff with Shane Beamer, but you would just have to believe that um, Shane Beamer can come in and sort of hire the correct staff around him you know, in order to to get it done here. Yeah, I think when you think of Beamer, you think of, I think you nailed it, sort of a CEO type coach hiring a good staff, which obviously the question then goes to, well, who would those people be? You know, so he's got some support among, you know, whether it's former players or some people, um, you know, around the program that that have been around the program a long time or are intrigued by the idea of that. And so, um, you know, he would be someone who would he's learned over a lot of different un, under a lot of different coaches. Philip Fulmer, Sylvester Croom, Steve Spurrier, George O'Leary, Lincoln Riley, Kirby Smart. He spent a year at Georgia. So there's a lot of different models. And in a way, Beamer, a lot of people point out he has not been a head coach. He's had some opportunities, um, you know, at the FCS or even FBS level to interview or get some jobs. And has just he's, he's a different type of guy. He's not as much of a ladder climber, take the first job. So he's sort of been biding his time, preparing himself, training himself for that. That's something he talked about after he got to Oklahoma. He wanted to go and learn Lincoln Riley's offense, sort of see how he did things to help better prepare him and train him to be a head coach. He talked about that publicly at one of his press conferences early there. So, um, you know, with him, it'd be about – like you said, Wes, understanding the landscape and what it takes to win at South Carolina and, um, you know, trying to just hire a really good staff and recruit and sort of build the program 
around that would be the idea there. All right, so let's go into Chad Will. He's a guy, Chris, I'm very intrigued by. Yeah. You know, let, all right, I'll, I'll do it the same order. Let's knock out the, the, the negative is that he's not at a power five place right now. Has not even, you know, he's not one of these guys. He's sort of, it's kind of interesting, man. Coaches either, I feel like, are head coaches very early in their career at smaller schools, and then they sort of work up that ladder. Or they have smaller roles, but at bigger schools, and they sort of work up through the, you know, coordinator ladder, like, you know, a, a Kirby Smart type thing. So I, I think you look – Chadwell, obviously, head coach at Charleston Southern, head coach at Coastal Carolina, winner. I mean, dude has won. He won it at North Greenville, um, I think, to start his career. But he's been definitely more of a. I'm going to be someone who is a head coach, and then we'll see. We'll see where it lands. So that that begs the question: is, You know, is he ready for the SEC? Can he build a program himself? Sort of inherited a great situation. Um, you know, from Joe Moglia at Coastal. And, you know, frankly, is his staff on par with maybe some of these guys who are are more used to – if you hire, for example, a coordinator from a Power 5 school, he probably has some buddies that have also already been coaching, you know, in this level. If you hire a non-Power 5 guy, a lot of times he's going to bring his guys up with him. Yep. So there's a transition there. Are you ready? Are you ready to recruit at this level? There there are questions there. Yeah. But he's a winner. It's kind he's right down the road, obviously. He's got a ton of Palmetto State ties. And man, there's sort of for me, there's even an element here. You don't want to you don't want to just overlook this guy. You have to look at him because you don't want to five years from now, you don't or next year. You don't want for you don't want for Coastal to go undefeated this year and go undefeated next year and Tennessee hire this guy, you know, or just a random team example. You don't want to look back and be like, oh, we're the idiots who had him two hours down the road and didn't hire him. Yeah. You know, so you you have to take a hard look at him and see if maybe the answer is right in your backyard. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, look, you may do that and you deem no, can't do. And then maybe not even next year, whatever, you know, maybe in five years, like you said, Wes, or 10 or whatever it may be, he ends up being great. You say, well, dang, but, you know, depending on how your program's doing at that time. But um, it, it is something you have to look at. I think what you mentioned, his staff's a good staff. I mean, they're really good football coaches. And there's a lot of things that we've heard about Chadwell's culture he's he's helped create and drive there that have been really good. Um, the the biggest and, – and he has, by the way, some Gamecock ties. He's got two coaches who used to be grad assistants at South Carolina and then Addison Williams who played for South Carolina under Steve mm-hmm. Spurrier on his coaching staff there. So some familiarity there. Um, but the biggest thing is you think about recruiting. You know, you always think about – we've seen some people who are SEC veterans – come into South Carolina and they don't recruit like you think. Some guys, some guys have lived up to that, some haven't. And so that is something you wonder because as I said earlier in the show, different animal, different animal. 
lots of stuff there. And so can you do it? Um, it is a question. In terms of football coaches, the offense is really compelling. It's not – I've seen some people characterize it as like the option. No, it, it's it's different. It's just it's very unique. He's sort of married. Like he basically runs the veer out of the shotgun. Grayson McCall, the quarterback, he's passed for over 200 yards sometimes 300 or close to in like every game this year. So uh, it's just been a really dynamic offense for them. And it's very unique. And it's actually, you sort of get intrigued when you think about a, a Luke Doty or, or even a Gunner Stockton, you know, in that type of offense, because it, it's, you know, something that could be tailored to their skill set. Well, and Chris, there is sort of a thought process. Don't know if it's true or not, but it's sort of, I, I tend to think that it has merit. There is a thought process that at South Carolina, you need to run an offense that is unique, that requires some extra preparation from your opponent. And I think that comes from the idea that South Carolina maybe will never be able to get completely elite talent offensively. Now, I shouldn't say never because you may you may have a stretch where you just have the right guys in the state and it works out. But But for the most part, you know, do, do you sort of need something different than just the – I mean, every, every it seems like, man, everybody's running the same plays these days. Now, you have, you have like – you know, Bo- Bobo isn't. He, you know, he went the other way. You have a few guys who are going – you know, and obviously it's fresh in everybody's mind, but I, I don't feel like everybody, anybody cares right now, so I'll say it. Like Lane, Lane Kiffin, he, he like – he went sort of – all in on the whole analytics, go for it on fourth down, wide open. Um, not everybody has sort of gone off the deep end with it like he has been willing to do. But for the, for the most part, dude, it, everybody sort of, if you watch a random game, if you just throw on a random game, everybody's in the shotgun, some type of zone running game with a little bit of QB, uh, you know, element, depending on how athletic the guy is. Um Lots of underneath passing, you know. Everybody's running the same stuff. So, to me, there is a little bit of merit to having a guy who just has a little different approach. Who, who your defense coordinator that week says, "We got to, we got to do something different this week." Yeah, and you know, a lot of people get really hung up on the spread, right? I mean, it's just this. There's a lot of different types of spread. Got to run the spread. Got to do it. And you know, if you talk to a lot of high school coaches, I've heard this from numerous ones. Obviously, we don't cover a high school team, but it is applicable, I think, even in college. A lot of high school coaches try to run spread because it's like a fad, and they do not have the personnel to do it. You know, So I do think it's about looking at your personnel. Lincoln Riley, who's one of the hottest, if not the hottest play caller in college football right now, when he got to Oklahoma, he looked around and said, man, we have some a really good potential for a dynamic running game. we got a big offensive line. we got you know some really good running backs here. Let's figure out how we can marry some of the concepts that I'm bringing in the passing game and, and figure out some different things to do in the run game. And they did that. Been really good running the ball at times. Lincoln Riley, even when he was, say, at East Carolina, he ran the ball more than, say, Mike Leach would. He's sort of a leech tree disciple, air raid type of stuff. But his offense was – he structured it differently. And he altered that at Oklahoma too. So, uh, you know, you you, you got to think about the fact – there is a good point with that, Wes. I mean – Maybe you do something different. I think South Carolina, I'll be quite honest, I think they've had some success 
maybe a little bit more than anticipated at times because they are running a unique offense in this day and age. You don't mm. see a lot of teams put a fullback on the field and run an eye formation at people. It's tougher to prepare for. It's tough to get your scout team out there and say, okay, you know, here we go. We're going we're gonna to run, you know, the eye formation and try to stop it in practice. And then it translates to the games, and all of a sudden you got a, you know, SEC offensive line. You got Kevin Harris running downfield at you. It's sort of difficult. So, yeah, that might be. And um, it certainly offense is going to be a consideration in this search, man. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, okay, who's here's going to do the most unique thing. But you better have a plan for it if you're one of these candidates because you got you to gotta be good on offense to win nowadays. It's going to be a big consideration. Yep. All right. So, and I, I was a little bit, maybe a little bit surprised, Chris, that Tanner straight up said, you know, because because ads and coaches are always just so. Ah, we're going to keep that to ourselves. We're going to keep that to ourselves. Hundred percent. He said offense was a a major. Now he did say it with the caveat of, does that look like hiring an offensive guy, or is that more? I almost instantly thought of Shane Beamer when he said, or is it about hiring a guy who's going to bring in the right offensive coordinator? So, but offense obviously. And and has to be has to be a major consideration for anybody hiring a coach right now. Speaking of offense, the name Hugh Freeze, the most polarizing name yep. you're going to find. But as as complicated of a decision as it is, it's a pretty simple breakdown here, and it's that the the offensive mind is there. Would you you would get you would get instant credibility from like a national media standpoint, like the reaction to this hire across the net. Now you'd have some people saying, you know, oh, you're taking on this baggage. Don't get me wrong. But with him as a football coach, everybody would say he would instantly. And I think some of his sort of um, the way he does things a little bit. What did the old Miss guy say? Some like a little bit corny at times. A, a lot of that stuff. Do what? Hokey. Yeah, a little bit hokey. Yeah. That stuff works in the short term though. Like yeah. you you would get I think you would get an instant boost. Um especially offensively. Recruiting, dude, you you'd sign some dudes to finish off this class. Like you you'd sign some receivers just based on what he's done. It it's easy to look at it from a short term standpoint and say he'd elevate the program. Then the the long-term question is a little bit more, I would say, difficult to to answer because it's hard to sustain success. And the baggage is there. Baggage tends to sort of stay hidden sometimes when you're winning. But when you're losing, locker room gets a little – less uh, of a good place people you know it just that that's when issues tend to sort of pop up more and more at the end of his old miss tenure issue here issue there some public maybe some not <laughs> so to me it's kind of I don't, I don't know man like i can sit here i could write you a really if you said write a story on why south carolina should hire hugh freeze i could write you a very compelling argument 
But if you said, write me a story why there's no way in you know where that South Carolina should hire Hugh Freeze, and I could write you a very compelling argument. Yeah, and, and th- that's where I am. I mean, I, y- you can make a case for either. I will say this, with Hugh Freeze, you do wonder a little bit more taking him away from Liberty and putting him back in the SEC, which is where he wants to be. Would he be limited a little bit in, in recruiting? And here's what I mean by that. What kind of staff can he put together at this point, right? Not what he had at Ole Miss or at Liberty. What kind of staff can he put together that's SEC ready for this point? He's a great football coach in terms of his mind, what he can squeeze out of players. It's pretty fantastic in that regard. But what can his sta- What would his staff look like? And, look, this is a guy that's been in the SEC before, and some things went sideways, like you said, Wes. And a lot of coaches in this league know about that stuff, just to be honest. Some, like you said, of which has not been reported, wasn't in the yeah. public eye. That can hurt you in recruiting at times, for sure. It's cutthroat in the SEC. People people are not scared to bring stuff up. I mean, we, you and I both heard some stories about what coaches will say, I mean, in front of kids and parents. I mean, it is it's crazy. And so um, – those are the things you got to think about. That's why when we said earlier, you don't just go on Wikipedia. This guy won. That's it. You know, it, it's it goes much deeper than that. It's much more complicated. And, and Hugh Freeze did sort of complicate it with the way that he left Ole Miss in terms of the things you have to think about for any school looking to bring him in now. Yep. Uh, had a comment here from somebody, Rebel. It says, he was cheating and could only win 10 games. Sad. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> I mean, lot, lots of people are probably cheating, so um, I don't know if that's a, the right way to, to judge. I mean, the guy did win at Ole Miss. Let's, let's not take that away. Like, we, you can make the argument of, you know, this, that, and the other of why not to hire him, and I may agree with you, but the dude, he won at Ole Miss compared to to a lot of people, you know, right. at, at Ole Miss. Um all right, and I know what. Hey, Chris, what time is your radio thing? You have to do. Yeah, hopping on in, in the state of Tennessee at about three twenty-five, so about fifteen okay. minutes or so. All right, all right, all right. So let's let's answer some questions uh, for the final little bit here. We've gone for an hour and, and ten minutes, and let's. All right, let's play a game first. And I'm I'm gonna ask you a question in the meantime, Chris, and then we're gonna play a game. But first game, no matter what you're watching on right now, be it Facebook or YouTube, everybody press the like button at the same time. <laughs> and if you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button as well. Okay? Okay, good. Now the real fun. I want everybody to post right now. If you were making the hire, who would you hire? Because I'm interested to see the feedback. I think we need to do a poll on Twitter, to be honest, because there's been so many different reactions to these names. I want to know what the the majority thinks. I think it's going to be very, very split. So say who you want, who would you hire right now. But before we get to the questions, Chris, um, Connor Shaw, on staff. That's yep. one more news. That's the most newsy thing we got. So I think that's a great move for South Carolina these final three games. I think it's pretty 
pretty interesting move. And, you know, interesting because he's not like when you think of Connor Shaw off field role, that's not an analyst or a GA. Like he's in sort of that beyond football department that's off the field. But that said, he's a guy that obviously hangs around the quarterbacks a lot. He's been in a lot of the quarterback meetings all year. He's a quarterback himself in the past, so that's sort of where he gravitates towards naturally. He has a lot of good relationships there. So uh, from that standpoint, it makes sense. Mike Bobo stepping up to the head chair, you would think promote somebody, bring somebody off the field or an analyst or a GA, you know, give him a headset, and he's the extra guy. So makes sense from that standpoint. Definitely. And as suspected, we have – I don't even know how to count it off, off top, man. It's a – very mixed room. It lots is. of Chadwell, lots of Napier, a Bobo, a Joe Brady. Now, I, I will say, if, if Joe Brady, for some reason, ends up being interested, I'd 100% look into that guy. 100%. I mean, I, I think there's a ton to like about him. We do have some some Beamer, some Tony Elliott, Clemson assistant. There's some. We don't have time to get all into that. There's some merit to that idea. I think as well. Beamer, some Sean Elliott, lots of Hugh Freeze, some Stoops, <laughs> uh, some Chadwell, a Nick Saban. Okay. Um, Good idea. Yeah, great idea. A little <laughs> bit of Sarkeesian, a little bit of Luke Fickle. But, yeah, a Deuce Staley in there. So, in- interesting mix. I'm by the way, y'all check out our Twitter here in the next uh, 30 minutes. I'm going to put up a poll. We're going to find out once and for all who everybody wants South Carolina to hire. So if y'all have questions, put them in. we got a few minutes. Um, we'll get to those here as we sort of close out the show. But, yeah, I hey, how about this, though, with Connor? Do you think there's any Gunner Stockton, like, side advantage there to – to sort of, I mean, and I, I don't, I don't know if Connor wants to be a full time coach long term. I, I don't, I haven't heard that's like his goal by any means. But I sort of wondered making Bobo, you know, the interim, making Connor an on field guy. It doesn't really have huge at all long term implications. I don't think. Yeah. But if you're South Carolina, to me, you need to keep Gunnar Stockton with the word South Carolina commitment by his name until you get to the next coach in order to then solidify things and hope you can keep him committed. Yeah, exactly. That was interesting. And, and, and I mean, it made sense to bring in an offensive guy. I was surprised, to be honest, it was Connor, just because he's not an on-field coach. But it does make sense, given how much time he spends around the quarterbacks, just in general. Uh, but yeah, I mean, definitely. And, and there's obviously ties with Bobo and Connor Shaw and I would think that whoever the next coach ends up being, which we don't know yet, uh, Connor Shaw is going to draw a heavy look to stay on staff if he wishes wishes in some type of capacity. And so up until now, you're right, Wes, the goal is not really for him to be an assistant coach in football. He's been more of like an administrative type getting into that side. Now, if he has an opportunity, would he take one? Possibly so. Um, But it's wise going forward in the future – I think it's, it's pretty clear, pretty obvious to say if Gun, you know, the more ties that you have around for the future, Gunnar Stockton, the reasons he committed, which were Shaw, Bobo, and Will Muschamp, who he also really liked, the better chance you have of hanging on to him, right? And so it makes sense from that standpoint. 
Yeah, and um, certainly the next coach, I think you, even if, if Connor doesn't want an on-field job, you keep him as director of, um, yeah. you know, the player director guy. So uh, we had a question from Rodney. Is any high-profile currently employed head coach or coordinator going to give a straight answer in the midst of a season? I would say highly unlikely, almost to the point of, of no way. Because now I think that, that you know how these things work. Intermediaries do the talking or, or, you know, Ray Tanner talks to an agent. You know, you have representation there. And then as soon as that season is over for that person, you officially start the process of making that move. But is anybody going to do that, like quit their season to finish with another school? No. Safe to say, Chris? Yeah, I, I, I think that's probably safe to say. Yeah, I mean, and and again, depending on where the guy's coming from and when the season ends, could there be some potential carryover? So that's, you know, that that is a legitimate question, and it is hard to see, you know, but it's hard to predict some of those things, and it depends on the timelines of all the sort of involved parties with that. Yep, um, lots of lots of talk on here about Stockton. Craig asked if we had talked to Stockton in the last few days. No, we have not. Um, lots of talk about Bobo and his connections there. I, and obviously, depending on who the new coach is, there's all, there's a chance Bobo would stay around as offensive coordinator. We'll have to see who the coach is to see if that happens, obviously, before you can answer that question. But that would always be a chance. Um, see, we have one more question I wanted to get to. Oh, are we worried about Chadwell's offensive style and if that can win in the SEC? Man, that that is a tough one. Um, There's been various – you know, I remember when Urban Meyer was getting hired at Florida from Utah. There were tons of people saying that offense will not work at Florida. It Mm -hmm. worked quite well. (laughs) <laughs> he had now he had really really good players obviously too um so I, I don't know it, it would be something different it would be tough to prepare for I know that um and it's not again it is not the option you know he doesn't run triple option he runs a lot of you know veer type stuff out of the shotgun as quarterback Grayson McCall is you know 200 something passing yards a game 20 25 attempts a game so they throw the ball a good bit too it's just a really unique style offense Hard to say. I mean, is it a question? Yeah, you can say it's a question for sure. I mean, just in terms of recruiting and would it translate? I do think at least initially it might be tough to prepare for. It could be a potential differentiator. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, uh, Stockton committed well after Bobo was on staff. I saw somebody say that Stockton committed before Bobo got here. That is not true. Um all right, man. I think I think that's going to do it. We we we're almost at an hour twenty. We will pick up tomorrow where we left off, and lots of questions today. So I appreciate every lots of viewers and listeners today. So we appreciate everybody being on. Go check out our our deal. Um, search twenty five is the code that'll get you twenty five dollars for the first year of Gamecock Central. Yeah, man. Uh, people mentioning Bob Stoops. Today's update little Bob Stoops info on there and probably 
got a hot board up, two different updates with just stuff on the process and some names in general, sort of where things stand, some of the particulars about each. Probably talked about, I don't know what, Wes, probably 10, 11 coaches, 12 coaches, something like that so far, and more to come in the coming days. So if you want to go in-depth, make sure you check us out on GamecockCentral.com and use that promo to do it. Yeah, appreciate everybody for coming on. The uh, the numbers, I know, I guess y'all probably can't. Well, you can see the individual for whatever platform you're on. But um, the numbers, if you add them up today, I think um, I think we had about almost 600 viewers at, at one time was our peak at any one time, um, which generally the most is less than half of that. So appreciate y'all. I, and I know they're – Here's the thing. The losing, I know it had added up on this fan base. You got beat down a little bit. Some apathy may be set in, but it's okay to feel some hope with a coaching change as well. And um, we're going to be right there with you, taking you through with some great info. We'll keep you updated. We'll keep rolling out the, the shows, but we would love to have you come join us in our community on GamecockCentral.com. Um, so hopefully we'll see you there between now and tomorrow. If not, we will see you right here at 2 o'clock tomorrow. Yep, sounds good. 2 o'clock, GC Live, right here, live on YouTube and more. So uh, y'all have a great day, and we will see you then. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.